Okay, good morning. Greetings in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's just pray that this laptop stays light here, that it doesn't slide, it doesn't move. Just, let's, just, let's just stay the way that it is, right? Ah, see now. I wouldn't have been brave enough to do that, Pastor Chase. Okay, good morning, church, once again. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Stuart Bishop. No, it's not that I'm a bishop. The bishop is just my surname. Um, so yeah, um, welcome. If you're here for the first time, welcome. Um, God bless you. You are in the right place at the right time. Okay? There's no better place for you to be than where you are found right now this morning. Can someone say amen? amen. Okay, so I'm going to remove the mask. You've seen that I've observed Cyril's protocol. Amen? Alrighty. So the title of my message this morning is Navigating the Storm. Navigating the Storm. If you're making notes, you can just jot that down very quickly. Navigating the Storm. Now, it's, it's really appropriate, I feel, that today is Resurrection, Resurrection Sunday. You see, broaching the topic of navigating the storm would be really, really difficult were it not for the fact that Jesus Christ the only begotten of the Father, our Lord and our Savior, rose on the third day. The fact that he rose today makes it easy for me to, to get through this message, makes it easy for me to, to share this message with you, makes it so easy for me to, to encourage you with this message. You see, it's interesting because the Bible, Jesus actually speaking, says, in this life you will have trouble. In this life, you are going to have trouble. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what um, position you find yourself in, um, what stage of life you find yourself at. In this life, as you go through life, every single one of us, we are going to have trouble. But Jesus being Jesus, he doesn't stop there. He says, but be of good courage. Be of good cheer. Be encouraged because I've overcome the world. 
You see, in other words, what Jesus is saying is, I've been crucified, yes, but it didn't stop there. I was laid in a tomb, yes, that's the truth, but <laughs> it didn't stop there. And sorry to inform you, if you go looking for uh, either my bones or my remains, you won't find them because that's not where the story ended. You see, I've overcome the world. In other words, I've gone down to the deepest depths of the pits of hell and I've taken the keys of death and of life. I've, I've defeated the enemy. I've defeated Satan. This, this foe that you currently face, this, this, this opponent who, who stands in front of you, he stands in front of you as a defeated foe. He's already been defeated. Hell, death and the grave have already been defeated. Been defeated. I've already won the victor's crown. So within that context, you will have some trouble. You will go through some storms, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Amen. So it's actually a message of hope. Hallelujah. It's a message of hope for you and I to know that um, life will happen. Life will happen. We will go through stuff. We will go through things that may even make us question God. And, 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 and we may go through things that really, um, you know, uh, get us to, to such a place where literally it's nobody else but Jesus that can lift us up once again. But this is a message of hope. And the message that I'm bringing to you this morning is, even as you navigate the storm, I implore you this morning, not to keep your focus on the size of the storm, but to rather keep your focus on Jesus on your living God, your, your Savior, your Redeemer, the one who defeated the enemy that you're currently faced with. Hallelujah, Jesus. And so know that this is a message of hope. Of, of hope. Hallelujah. And so my opening remarks to you today is that you will find yourself in the midst of a storm at some point during your Christian walk. And this is nothing to be surprised about. Hallelujah. It's Kind of like, and again, I might be exposing some, some of my family members, but I don't know about you, but I had that one uncle who would always try to trick me. You know, he'd always try to see, you know, just how sharp I am, just how alert I am. You know, am I awake or am I busy sleeping there with my eyes open, right? And so this one particular uncle on a day quite similar to a day like today, where it's a little bit overcast, this particular uncle would say to me, so Stuart, yes, uncle. So, you, I hear you're quite a, bright, quite a bright young man. I guess so, uncle. Uh, so tell me, young man, uh, if the weather stays like this, you think it's going to rain? Now that's a trick question, guys. Because if the weather stays like this, obviously it's not going to rain. Right? But the natural, our natural tendency is to say, yeah, you know, looking at the clouds, I think, you know, if, if the weather stays like this, I think, I think it will rain. Right? So, the question is not, if the weather stays like this, will it rain? The question should actually be, can we avoid the fact that it is going to rain? Can you avoid the storm? And the answer is no. It's inevitable. In your life and in my life, we can't go through life trying to avoid the storm. We're going to be faced with multiple storms. And so it's important for you and I to know exactly how to deal with those storms and exactly who to lean on and rely on when we go through those storms. Amen. 
The reason that there is a Resurrection Sunday is because Jesus has overcome the world. Death has been defeated because Christ has overcome the world. Hell has been defeated because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Satan is a defeated foe because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. You see, it's easy to be distracted by what they call the flying debris. I don't know if you've, I don't know, you, maybe you are quite similar to me. I love to watch these, these, these National Geographic programs where they show the, the storm systems and, and weather patterns and they, and they show you the eye of the storm and they show you the destructive path of the hurricane and of the tornado. And very often, uh, in fact, you can't sit through one of those without seeing what they call flying debris. So the flying debris is the stuff that as the wind and as the storm blows through a specific town, it literally starts to rip apart houses. It starts to uproot trees. You see, you see all sorts of things that shouldn't be airborne, that currently are airborne. And it's easy to look at that and be distracted by that. To be distracted by what they call flying debris. And lose your focus and lose sight of this all-powerful living God in the midst of that storm. When disaster strikes and no words can console you, God is still on the throne. God remains a good God. His nature and his character do not change. He's the same God yesterday, today and forevermore. He's not any less powerful nor any less omnipotent because of the storm. He's not any less powerful nor any less omnipotent because you are going through a storm. It's always in his nature to bless you, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, to offer himself to you as a safe haven, a soft place to land, a mighty fortress in the time of trouble. Hallelujah. You see, in the midst of a global pandemic, and this pandemic has been a pandemic the likes of which none of us in living memory have ever witnessed before. But even in the midst of a global pandemic like coronavirus that has literally brought world economies to their knees, I personally know of Christian businessmen and Christian businesswomen who've said to me and testified to me and witnessed to me that during this pandemic, during the past 12 months, these have been some of the most profitable months in their businesses. In spite of, despite the pandemic that was, that was taking place and that's still taking place around them. Hallelujah. It's extremely important to note that we can sometimes miss the blessing in the midst of the storm when we focus on self. It's the easiest thing to do in the midst of a storm is to focus on me, myself, and I. And so the first key to experiencing your blessing, even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of hurricane uh, and, and gale force winds, one of the first keys to experiencing your blessing in the midst of such a storm is to set aside self. Set aside self. In other words, less of you and more of Jesus. Hallelujah. We need to look at the man or the woman in the mirror. And that mirror is God's word. Hallelujah. And say, hello self, I recognize you for who you are. 
And so you say, you might be like me and you might be like others who've said before, Lord, how could you possibly bless me and protect me and protect my business during this pandemic? Lord, I don't have an online presence, Lord. Everybody speaks about an online presence. My business doesn't have an online presence, Lord. And I don't even know how to use social media, Lord, as a tool for my business. And Lord, in any event, I'm not very articulate. English isn't my first language. And so the list of self-focused excuses could continue to mount up and up as they did for Brother Moses. Hallelujah. But as I say, the common theme, the common denominator in every single one of those excuses is me, myself, and I. I'm not good enough. I don't have a, a, a good understanding of social media. I'm not articulate. Me, 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 my, 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 I, I, I. So point number one, it may not come as a surprise to you. You have to set aside yourself. Hallelujah. The time for excuses is over. Let's look at some of the excuses Moses put forward in his conversation with God. We all know the story. I'm not going to dig too much into it. But the, in essence, the children of Israel had been held captive in Egypt for generations. This is not just any kind of storm. This is not just any kind of tribulation. This is something that took place generation after generation. Literally enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. This is the storm that was facing the children of Israel. And God wanted to use Moses as a vessel to free the children of Israel. And Moses, just like you and I, comes to God with a shopping list of excuses. Excuse number one. Surely I'm not good enough to be used by you, Lord. Surely I'm not good enough. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? Now, in that, just in that one sentence, I count three eyes coming from Moses' lips. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children, out of, the children of Israel out of Egypt? The first excuse that Moses gave was in essence that he was not good enough to be used by God. How many times in my life have I given this as an excuse? No, you guys can go ahead. It's fine. This is not really, you know what I mean? This is not really my area of expertise. This is not really my thing, you know what I mean? Like, soccer's my thing. You guys can go ahead. What, what did you say that was cool? What bad mitten? Why was the mitten bad? No, you guys can go, go ahead, guys. This is not really my area of expertise. I'll wait uh, until we start playing soccer. That, that's, when, that's when I'll step up. This is not really my thing. I'm not really good at this. For those of you who just like me have often thought, who am I that God would choose to use someone like me? Allow me to encourage you with this. And I want you to pay, pay close attention. God often chooses the most unlikely candidates to fulfill his work and his mission. God often chooses the most unlikely candidate to fulfill his work and his mission. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27 
But God has selected for his purpose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, revealing their ignorance. And God has selected for his purpose the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and revealing their frailty. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this might come as a surprise to you, but God is not looking for your strength. He's not looking for your ability or your capability. He's looking for your availability. In other words, if God was to walk into this room, he wouldn't start choosing the best looking, the tallest, the strongest, the fittest, the smartest, to do, to accomplish his will and his purpose. He's looking for your availability. And you see, often the enemy uses that as an excuse for you to justify why you should not as yet, not just yet, get involved in the, in the local assembly. Yeah, you want to volunteer, you feel, you feel the, the pulling and the unctioning of the Holy Spirit prompting you to come and volunteer in your, in your local assembly. But then you listen to and you, you, go, you go one step further, you actually agree with the lie of the enemy that says that you're not good enough. You're not very eloquent. Why would you want to volunteer to welcome the first-time visitors when you can't even open your mouth and, and, and string two sentences together? I don't think it's your time yet. Let's just, let's just sit and warm the pews just a few more months more. And just a few, for just a few more years. Just, 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 just park this volunteering story. Right? Second excuse. What if I don't have all the answers? Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? I mean, such a simple question, right? But Moses essentially did not understand that he was only meant to be the vessel that God wanted to use and not the actual salvation nor the actual saviour. You see, being the vessel means Moses didn't actually need to know all of the answers. Again, another excuse, another lie that the enemy uses to keep us where we are. Ooh, but you really, are you, re are you sure? You, are you, you really sure that you, I mean, I mean, your knowledge, I mean, you don't really read the Bible that often. Eh? Are you sure you want to put yourself out there and be part of the prayer team? I'm just saying, eh? I'm just saying, there, it's another level, eh? There's another level. You'd rather stay at home? It's better for you to stay at home. There you get exposed, eh? You get exposed over there. Hey, when the spirit starts moving. Come on, guys, come on. And then we sit there and we go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, you're right, devil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's not my time. Mm-hmm. Right, we make, we make an agreement with this lie. You don't have to know all of the answers, ladies and gentlemen. There's things that God by His Holy Spirit will reveal to you. Things that you've never learnt. Things that you were never taught. Things that you've never studied. You yourself won't even understand where did the words actually come from. How was I able to counsel that person like that? God by His Holy Spirit will tell you, will lead you and give you the words exactly what you need to say at the exact and appropriate time. Hallelujah. 
Excuse number three, people may not believe me. People may, what if they don't believe me, Lord? Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose, suppose they, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. There's this word again, suppose. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. You know what this is? This is not even, it's not even a fear of rejection. It's a fear of possible rejection. Suppose means, what if? But Lord, what if they don't believe me? But Lord, what if they say you haven't spoken to me? So he's actually um, already seeing himself being rejected. And just the possibility of that possibly happening is already causing fear to build up in his heart. Once again, you can clearly see that Moses had his focus on self and the rejection that he may possibly experience when God was asking him to be confident, not in Moses' abilities, but in God's ability to give him favor with his fellow man. Excuse number four, I'm not eloquent enough. Then Moses said to the Lord, Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I think it may have come as a surprise to Moses to know that God was not looking to call someone who was perfect and flawless. God, ladies and gentlemen, does not call perfect, flawless people to do his work. Stuart, how do you know? How do you know that God is not calling perfect people? For all you know, he could be. He could be. He could be. Maybe you just don't know. Maybe he hasn't revealed it to you yet. That God is actually looking for perfect people. So how do I know? Well, the reason I know, ladies and gentlemen, firstly is because there is no such thing as a perfect person flawless person. Yes, I know Pastor Paul looks really good right now, but uh, okay, maybe in the eyes of Pastor Trace, you know, she sees him as this perfect flawless, but I promise you guys, you can look high and wide, you, you, you can spend the rest of your days on this earth searching for a perfect flawless person. Brother Juan's got that look in his eyes to say, yeah, Stuart, I'm there. I'm there. I'm pretty close. I may not be 100%, but I'm like 99.99. Right? You won't find one. Right? So that's point number one. There aren't any perfect, flawless people. But secondly, and, more, and, and probably more important than that, is he will not share the glory with anyone. God will not share the glory with you or with I. You see, if you feel that you've got the ability in and of yourself to be your own savior, why would you need God? And how would God get the glory in that situation? It's almost a prerequisite for us to be imperfect. Because when we, wherever we are weak, wherever, wherever God spots that weakness, there He is strong. Hallelujah, Jesus. That's the place, that area of weakness is where I tap into Him and I start to draw and draw and draw from His strength. Hallelujah. Excuse number five. I'm not as qualified as the next one in line. 
Now, Exodus chapter 4 and verse 13, let me just read the verse. But he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of, of whomever else you may send. In other words, Lord, whoever, Lord, just send anyone else but me, basically. Lord, there's got to be someone else, Lord. I understand it needs to be done. I understand what you want to do. You want to set the children of Israel free from generations of slavery. But Lord, please, is there nobody else, Lord? There's got to be someone else. I almost feel sorry for Moses because the more excuses he makes, the more he actually shows just how perfect he is for the job. It's almost like, it's almost like he's, he's laying out his own CV and, and, the, and, the, and the interview pan is going, mm-hmm, yeah, that's what we're looking for. You can't speak, Tanam, yeah, that's what we're looking for. You say, you say they won't believe you, hi, don't worry, my child, I'm with you. We will go with you, we've got this, don't worry. As he lays out excuse after excuse, he's basically showing that he's the man for the job. What we do not realize is that our inabilities make us the perfect candidates for God to use us. When we experience the victory and when we see the manifestation of God's blessing in the middle of the storm, we will have no choice but to say, it was not me. It wasn't me, guys. This was all God, all glory to him. All honor and all praise to him. There was no way that in my own strength I could ever have done this. So I have to give God the glory for the good things that he has done. Amen. And this takes me to point number two. When the storms rage, Jesus is your victorious savior. When the storms rage, so we've already established that in this life you will go through storms. Right? It's going to happen. It's not a case of if, it's only a matter of when. Some of you sitting here this morning may very well be going through some sort of storm as you are listening to these words. But when the storms rage, Stuart is not your savior. When the storms rage, um, your husband is not your savior. When the storms rage, your mom or your dad are not your savior. There's only one. His name is Jesus the Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is the door. He's not just one of a a, a set of possible options for you. He's option A, he's option B, he's option C. There's no other option besides him. He's the only way to the Father. His name is Jesus. And when the storms rage, Jesus is your victorious Savior. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to verse 9. For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor, drawing you to Christ that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves. This salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God, not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. You're not saved because of yourself. You're not saved because of your own good works. 
You're not saved because of your efforts, even in this local assembly. Hallelujah, Jesus. Because if that were the case, certain individuals would be able to boast and say, look how my works have saved me. Look how my efforts have guaranteed me a place in heaven. So that no one would be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. That is why we need a savior and his name is Jesus. That is why as believers we remember that he died and that he rose again. Because he arose, he arose as the victorious champion. Victorious over sin and victorious over death. He's alive today and he lives forevermore. That's why today is Resurrection Sunday. I'm not saved by my own hand, nor my own good works or the efforts I put in. Jesus is my saviour, full stop. Jesus is my saviour, full stop. First Chronicles chapter 14, reading from verse 10. So David inquired of God, Shall I go up against the Philistines? The Philistines were generally a problem. Shall I go up against the Philistines and will you hand them over to me? Then the Lord said to him, Go up and I will hand them over to you. Go up and I will hand them over to you. When you go through any storm or any battle, you come out victorious because God himself, de God himself delivers the victory to you. When you focus on what you do not have, you run the risk of missing out of, on the blessing within the storm. When you focus on your inabilities rather than God's capabilities, you run the risk of missing your blessing in the middle of the storm. When you focus on the size of your storm instead of the size of your God, you run the risk of missing out on the blessing in the storm. Point number three, it's not the size of the storm, but the size of your God. It's not the size of the storm, but it's the size of your God. I told you that the Philistines were a bit of a problem, so let's have a look at a storm named Goliath. We all know the story of David and Goliath. I don't think there's one of us here who hasn't attended Sunday school, um, who hasn't heard and who doesn't know the account of David and Goliath. And so there stands Goliath as big and as bad as any opponent could possibly stand, mocking and scoffing at the armies of David's living God and spreading fear among the ranks of the soldiers like a viper spreading its venom. 1 Samuel 17, verse 8 to verse 11. Goliath stood and shouted to the battle lines of Israel, saying to them, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Why did you guys even pitch up? Am I not the Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. 
But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Verse 10. Again the Philistines said, I defy the battle lines of Israel this day. Give me a man so that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now Goliath, as you've seen in those passages of scripture, had quite a bit to say. He had quite a lot to say. And just about everything that Goliath said in, that, in those passages of scripture was intended to instill fear, crippling fear in the hearts and in the minds of those soldiers who were listening to him. And by and large, to, to a large extent, to the, to, to the greatest degree, that's exactly what he got right. He instilled fear in the hearts of these soldiers. But there's something quite interesting in those passages of scripture. I, I find that unwittingly so, Goliath is also his own prophet of doom. Out of Goliath's own mouth come the words, if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. You see, Goliath himself was actually declaring his own end without realizing it. Goliath himself was actually declaring the blessing that was about to take place for the children of Israel. Hallelujah. Unfortunately, out of everything that Goliath had to say on that day, the children of Israel focused on his threats, his taunts, his sighs, in other words, his fear factor. They focused on the physically imposing magnitude of this category 5 storm called Goliath, rather than the opportunity that presented itself for God to bless them in the midst of the storm. One Samuel seventeen and verse twenty six. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him. These are the words of David. What will be done for the man who killed this Philistine and removes the disgrace of his taunting from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he has taunted and defied the armies of the living God? Man, I love David. I love the way that he speaks. I love where his heart is at. I love where his mind is at, and I love where his mouth is at. You see, David is basically, before he's even slung a single stone, David's already trying to find out, guys, so once I'm done with this dude, what's going to happen? What will happen to the man who kills this guy? What's going to happen when we've gotten rid of this disgrace? Can you see where his head is at? I don't think it's even entered into David's mind, even the possibility of losing to Goliath. He's already asked, guys, what's going to happen afterwards? Because this is, this is actually just a bump in the road. I'm already looking past this bump called Goliath. You guys are seeing a mountain of a man. I'm seeing a little bump. And I'm already, I've already gone past him. And I actually just want to know, what, what will happen to the man who actually kills this guy and sorts him out? Can you see where David's mind is at? He's already gone past defeating Goliath. And for me, 
what's really telling about this is the reason why David could go to that place when everybody else was cowering in fear is because David knew who his living God was. You see, David had an experiential relationship with his living God. He knew God's track record. He knew the history of the encounters that he had experienced where he had been faced with something similar to a Goliath and how he'd gotten the victory and how it was God who gave him that victory. In other words, he knew. He had a proven track record of what his God could do. And because of that track record, because of that relationship, because of that history, you and I, Lord, we've got history. Hallelujah. We're coming a long, long way. And because of that history that he had with his God, he knew that this was a done deal, that this was just a formality. When you know your God and you know that he's alive and he's able to fight on your behalf and he's done so consistently in the past, then you know that he is not just some lifeless idol sitting on a mantelpiece somewhere without the ability to act on your behalf. He's a living God. Hallelujah. He's alive this morning. Hallelujah. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above all that we could ever ask or imagine. Hallelujah. 1 Samuel 17 verse 33 to verse 37. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. For you are only a young man and he has been a warrior since his youth. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and attacked it and rescued the lamb from his mouth. And when, when it rose up against me, I seized it by its whiskers and struck and killed it. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted and defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will also rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Hallelujah. You see what I'm talking about? David knew. David had experiences. David knew He'd seen God coming through again and again and again. He knew that this was a faithful God who'd never let him down, who nev had never ever disappointed him, never left him alone, never forsaken him, always given him the victory. Hallelujah, Jesus. You and I also have a track record with Jesus this morning. You may be coming a long, long way with him. You may be in, an, in a newly formed relationship with him. But I can guarantee you this, no matter who you are, no matter what stage of your walk with Jesus Christ, if, you, if he has woken you up this morning, and he has, then he's been good to you. If you are alive and well this morning and you're here today, yes, you may be going through some things, hallelujah, but if he's blessed you with a brand new mercy to see this day, this Resurrection Sunday, 
then no matter how long or how short your track record is with him or his is with you, he's already proven himself to be a faithful God to you. He's already rescued you you out of the mighty clay. you, You were headed for a lost eternity. You were headed for an eternity without any hope. You were literally hopeless, headed for eternal damnation, and he's rescued you, he's saved you, and he's planted your feet on the king's highway. He's already proven himself. If he does nothing else for you, he's already proven himself to be a faithful and a good God to you. He's a good, good father. Hallelujah. So how will you react in the middle of the storm? I turn your attention to Mark chapter 4 and verse 37. And a furious storm of wind of hurricane proportion arose. And the waves kept beating into the boat so that it was already becoming filled. You see, the disciples and Jesus were crossing the Sea of Galilee when a massive storm of hurricane proportions began to rage. The disciples were absolutely terrified for their lives. This was a life and death situation. They were not on a massive ocean liner as the likes of which you would find today. They were in a wooden boat and this boat was filling up with water. So they were in the midst of a life and death situation. If you or I were in that situation, I can pretty much guarantee that you and I um, would have been feeling pretty much the same kind of apprehensive feelings um, as the disciples were. So how should you and I react in the middle of such a storm, in the middle of the storms of life? Well, I thought about it and, I, and the only logical conclusion that I could come to is the best thing for me to do in that situation is to do what Jesus did. In other words, to react the way that Jesus did. You know, we used to wear those little armbands, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Do what Jesus would do, right? You see, when the storms of life rise up against you, what you should do is you should, you should seek to find yourself and to be at peace. Now, Pastor Tracy has often spoken about this. It's not that meditation, Eastern meditation, where you empty your mind and you allow all sorts of nonsense to come in. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the type of peace that the world purports to be able to give people. It's not that kind of peace. Not just any peace, but the peace of God which passes all human understanding and which guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Mark chapter 4 verse 38. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. So while all of this was happening, hurricane winds, water filling the boat, Jesus was asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Master, are you not concerned about the fact that we are about to die? When I read these words, do you not care that we are perishing? I can almost, in a sense, hear the desperation in the voice 
voices of the disciples. They recognized the seriousness of the situation. But you see, once again, it's that classic mistake. It's that classic mistake of once again focusing on the size and the strength of the storm that was raging about them and not focusing on the living God and Savior who was right in the boat with them all along. They needed to shift their focus. There are many things in our personal lives and in our work lives that can cause us to lose sleep. Many things that we go through, many challenges that we face, all sorts of opposition that can cause you to have sleepless nights, if you allow them to. If you allow them to. But my encouragement to you today is to do exactly what Jesus did and find rest and peace even in times of turmoil. You need to be able to find rest and peace even in times of turmoil. John chapter 14 and verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. This is the peace that we're speaking about. It doesn't come from any other source. It can only come from Jesus. Point number five. Call on God when trouble comes. There's a natural tendency for every single one of us just about. If you really were to think about it, you, you, you probably have someone in mind where, you know what, when things are not going well, there's a particular person. And it's not, it's not, a, it's not a big list. It's probably one or two people. When you find yourself in trouble, you know that there's probably one or two people that you'd look to, that you'd call out to in times of trouble. It might be an older brother, it might be a mom, it might be a dad, it might be um, a cousin that you're really, really close to, it might be a friend that you've walked a specific journey, a specific path with, you guys might have studied together and you became really, really close, almost inseparable. And you know that when you find yourself in a fix, you know that you can call this person in times of trouble. But my encouragement to you this morning is that when you find yourself in a sticky wicket, when you find yourself in, in, in a situation where it feels like the winds and the waves of life are crashing all around you and your boat is beginning to fill up with water and it's a life and death type of situation, my encouragement to you is to call on God. Hallelujah. Psalm 86 and verse 7. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Why call on God? Now, I'm going to I'm going to expose myself, but again, it's okay because, I mean, we're we, we, we family here, right? I mean, we, we like family, right? You, you, guys, you guys know me. I know you. 
you know me, right? We, we like family, right? We, we, we connections, right? We connections, right? So, if you try to call me, hallelujah, on my cell phone number, 061-477-2865, you might find that it's a little bit difficult to get hold of Stuart. Now, Pastor Paul shouldn't have been laughing because now it's like providing confirmation of what I'm saying. But Pastor Paul knows from first-hand experience that when you try to call Stuart, it's kind of hard to get hold of the brother. However, let's move away from Pastor Paul, Sally Ann, who's looking lovely there at the back, my one and only wife. I'm married to one woman. That's her there in the corner right at the back. She knows better than anyone else that if she doesn't get hold of me on the one number, she needs to call me on the other number. Because probably one of them is on silence and the other one I'll actually hear, which happened last night. Is that, is that true, my love? Yeah. Okay. Right? So why should you not call me? I'm not saying you mustn't call me now. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying you run the risk. So if you're stuck, if you're in a fix and you call me, you run the risk of me not answering. It's a possibility. I'm, 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 guys, you mustn't say, Pastor, Pastor Stewart didn't tell you. I'm telling you, Vele, I'm telling you now. If you call me, you run the risk of not getting hold of me, of me not answering you. I'm human after all, right? I'm not perfect. Guys, I'm being serious. I'm being open and honest and transparent, right? So, why not call the one whose line is never busy? Why not go there? You, you want to give Pastor Paul a call at 11.55 p.m. in the evening. When he's fast asleep, he's having his best sleep ever. He's just done his run. He's, he's, he's feeling relaxed. His muscles are tired. And now at 11.55 p.m. you want to give Pastor Paul a call. Have you, have you considered the possibility that actually you should be calling on Jesus? Again, I'm not saying don't call him. Knowing Pastor Paul is such a nice guy, he probably is going to answer, even at 11.55, right? However, Psalm 86, verse 7, says, In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. He always answers. He's always available. It's part of his nature. It's part of his character. It's part of him being a faithful God. He's always available. His line is never busy. You'll never get that signal, you know, or you'll never get that message that says that you are caller number 365 and your call is important to us. Please continue to hold. You won't, it won't happen. And I'm speaking now, now I'm, now I'm really, I'm going there. I'm going there now. You know, some, some customer service call centers, man, some of them are bad. They're really, really bad. And I've had some bad experiences this week where I'm calling and I'm like, and the music's going, doo -doo 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 -doo. you are caller number 365. Don't drop this call, you are important to us. And I'm thinking, 365? Guys, you'll need to figure out your head count in your call center. I cannot be caller number 365 and you're still expecting me to hold on. There are times in your life, ladies and gentlemen, when you need an immediate answer. You need to get hold of someone who's continuously available and who will answer you when you call on him. Hallelujah. 
And that person is Jesus. Jeremiah 29 verse 12 to verse 13. Then you will call on me and you will come and pray to me and I will hear your voice. And I will listen to you. Then with a deep longing you will seek me and require me as a vital necessity. It's got to be at that point, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes um, the problem is not the connection. Sometimes the problem is we don't, we're not really in a situation where we feel like Jesus is our vital necessity. Like we can't live without him. We can't breathe without him. We need him every single step of the way. Sometimes we're so relaxed. We're so comfortable in this Christian walk that we don't realize that he is our vital necessity. You will require me as a vital necessity and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. You will find me when you search for me with all your heart. The word of God says, seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Hallelujah. You don't just knock once and you turn and you walk away because nobody answered the door. You knock and you keep on knocking. You show tenacity. You show persistence. Hallelujah. You show diligence in your seeking of your Lord and Savior. You seek Him and you will find Him. If you don't, if you don't lose heart, if you don't become faint, if you don't become weary, you will find Him. He will answer you. He will open up the door for you. Hallelujah. When you seek Him, with all of your heart, you will find him. Hallelujah. Point number six. And this is probably my, my favorite point out of the message. So Stuart, what have you told us so far? You told us that this is a message of hope. You've told us that we're going to be going through some storms. It's, 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 it's inevitable. I think about Jesus when Jesus um, uh, is speaking with Peter and he says, Satan desires to sift you, but I've prayed for you. Right? In other words, the sifting is going to happen, whether you like it or not. But I'm praying for you. I'm there interceding for you. So it's inevitable. We're going to go through the storms. Right? When we go through the storms, we ought to have peace in our hearts why? Because we know that we serve a living God who's already overcome the world. He's already overcome our enemy, Satan, our foe. He's already a defeated foe. And by the way, I don't focus on the size of the storm, nor the strength of the winds, but I focus on my living God, who, and I focus on his track record. I focus on how he's come through for me. I focus on how he's been a faithful God. I look back at testimonies that I've shared, and things that I've gone through in my life and experience where I've seen him to be a faithful God who's never left me and he's never forsaken me. And based on that tra track record, I say, Lord, if you've never let me down before, why would you start now? Point number six. God has the final say concerning every storm and his word is final. There's two finals there. God has the final say concerning every storm and his word, in other words, what he says about the storm that you're going through, his word is final. There's no one else that can come after that and say something else 
Nobody else can come and curse what God has blessed. His word is final. Hallelujah. Mark Mark chapter 4 and verse 39. Remember that the the disciples were in the boat, right? And they were saying, Jesus, um, aren't aren't you even worried about us? Aren't you even concerned about us? Don't you care that we're perishing? Mark chapter 4 verse 39. And he got up and sternly rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And in brackets, be muzzled. Do you know what a muzzle is? A muzzle is something you put over... The only image I have right now is a pit bull, right? So a pit bull, it's going to the vet and you know, maybe, he's got a, maybe he's in the habit of biting when the vet is checking on him. They put a muzzle over his mouth like that. So you can't yell and you can't yell. Right? And you can't shout and you can't cry. Right? If he can't open up his mouth, he can't bite you. Right? So, here Jesus stands and he rebukes the winds and he speaks to the sea and he says, Hush! Be thou muzzled. Be still. And the wind died down as if it had grown weary. Such a beautiful illustration. The wind died down as if it got tired of being windy. Right? At the voice of Jesus. And the wind died down as if it had grown weary. And there was at once a great calm. A perfect peacefulness. What type of peace does Jesus give? Perfect peace. Not as the world gives, does he give. And at once there was a great calm, a perfect peacefulness. Jesus has the final say concerning every single storm that you're going through and every single storm that you will ever go through. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? God's word over every single storm in your life is hush, be still. Peace, be still. In other words, it's not that the situation that you're going through now will last for all eternity. The storm you're facing now will just keep raging on and on and on like a Category 5 hurricane. Do you know a a Category 5 hurricane even the worst that have ever been experienced, and for some reason, it's either Asia or the United States borders that experienced really proper Category 5 storms. But even those die out. Even those storms must come to an end. The worst of the worst that, 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 that flooded cities and towns, even those have got to come to an end. And so no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what the storm of life might be at any given point in time, just remember this. Jesus' final word concerning your storm is peace, be still. It must come to an end. It must come to pass. It must come to pass. It doesn't come to stay. It must come to pass. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 4 and verse 41. They were filled with great fear. Now this is a different kind of fear. This is an awe and a reverence of who Jesus is and what they just witnessed. They were filled with great fear and said to each other, 
Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? So think for a moment about whatever it is that you're going through. To me, to Stuart Bishop, it might seem like something hectic. It might seem like something that, you know, I don't even have an answer to and I don't even have a solution to. For me, or for you who's in the midst of it, you may not even be able to see your way out of it at the moment. But remember, that's a temporary storm. It's momentary. It's for the moment. And remember that there's one who even the winds and the waves obey him when he speaks. And so even though you may not be able to see the end of your storm right now, remember that there is one. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. And the winds and the waves completely submitted to him in complete obedience will stop when he says stop. They will hush when he says hush. They'll be still when he says be stilled. And you can put a muzzle over that storm and it will be as if it's lost all of its energy and it has no desire to even rage any longer. As if the wind has become weary. Hallelujah, Jesus. I'm going to ask us just to stand this morning. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Hallelujah. I don't even need to ask if there's anyone who's going through something, some kind of storm. Because as I've said, if you're not going through something right now, at some point during this year, there's going to be a storm that you're going to find yourself in and you're going to feel desperate. You're going to feel the desperation. You're going to feel like the, this ship feels like it's going under. This boat feels like it's sinking. I can't give you peace as much as I'd love to. I can't give you peace. But what I can do is I can point you to the cross I can point you to Jesus who whilst you and I were still living in complete rebellion lost and completely submersed or submerged in sin and in and our sinful nature before we'd even made the decision before it was even a possibility Jesus came down from heaven, left the splendor and the glory of heaven, came down here to earth in the form of man and he gave up his life on the cross of Calvary. He was pierced in his side, pierced through his hands and pierced through his feet. A crown of thorns was placed on his head. He endured all of that because he had you and me in mind. He laid down his life. No one took it from him, but he freely gave of himself. 
He laid down his life so that you and I would be able to live an eternity, an eternity of joy, an eternity of peace. Hallelujah, Jesus. But even right now here on earth, right now here on earth, you and I can have heaven here on earth. You and I can experience the peace of God that passes all human understanding and that guards our hearts and guards our minds in nobody else but in Christ Jesus. And so if you hear this morning and you've heard what I've had to say, you've heard from God's word and you feel like, you know what, I, I don't have a relationship with this Jesus that I've been hearing about. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is not my Lord and Savior. I don't have that track record to point to because I haven't yet made him Lord of my life. If that's you this morning and you'd like to surrender your, your life to Jesus, you'd like to give it over to him, I'm not going to embarrass you. All I'm going to ask you to do, wherever you are, with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I'm just going to ask you, if that's you this morning, just to raise your hand wherever you are. If you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, just raise your hand wherever you are on this Resurrection Sunday. Raise your hand, hallelujah, so that I can see you and I can, I can pray with you this morning. You might have known him previously. You might have previously walked with him. You might previously have had a relationship with him. And you've strayed and you've, you, you, you've lost your focus. You focused on the storm rather than focusing on, on your Jesus. Rather than focusing on the living God. And you've lost your focus and you've gone astray. And the relationship isn't there anymore but you want to come back home. You want to recommit your life to Jesus. If that's you this morning, if there's anyone this morning in this place, can you just raise your hand so that I can just see you this morning and acknowledge you and pray with you this morning. Hallelujah, Lord. If there's no one this morning, then I will bring us, every single one of us this morning before the Lord in prayer. Every single one of us, Father. Lord, even as we go through life and even as life happens, all around us, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, that we are not circumstance-controlled. We thank you, God, that we know, we look to the hills from whence cometh our help because our help comes from you. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Our focus and our attention is not on the storm and it's not on the size of the storm and it's not on the strength of the winds, but we focus our attention on you, Lord. You are our Savior. You've saved us, every single one of us here this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus, you've brought us into your fold. Hallelujah, and we are your own. We've been made heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, we're part of this royal priesthood. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Jesus. We are peculiar people. Hallelujah, Jesus. And we've been called, hallelujah, and we've accepted the call. And so right now, this morning, in the name of Jesus, I pray the peace of God would go before us, all around us, wherever we go, Lord, whatever we do, whatever we touch, whoever we interact with, Lord, wherever we go, Father, may your peace go before us. As Savior and Lord of our lives, may you go before us, may you lead us, may you keep us, may you guide us, 
May you bless us even in the midst of the storm. May you provide for us even in the midst of the storm. May you give us the victory over our Goliaths. And may you come through as Savior and as Blessed Redeemer. We pray this now in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, if you receive something this morning, please give the Lord Jesus a hand clap. I'd like us as a church to pray for Pastor Stuart. Uh, you know, he was joking around talking about his cell phone and cell phone numbers. Uh, he's one of those people where to fully benefit from the gift and the grace on his life, you have to seek him diligently. Amen. Glory. I've got about three cell numbers of him. <laughs> a few months ago, I was introduced to his work landline, actually, by his wife. Um, but he's such a blessing. And this is one of your pastors in the church. We don't just say Pastor Stuart Bishop, just joking around, playing games. You see, they're different personalities. Some people who are very extroverted come and they're in your face and they invite themselves to your house. Some people who are more introverted, like Pastor Stuart, you have to, you have to tap into this. But this is a gift, the gift of pastor that's here in Go Christian Church. And I want to encourage you, every single time I spend time with him, the stories I hear, the encouragement, the spirit of faith that he carries. Strong spirit of faith. Those of you who've been in the church for some time will know his story about when he was a young child and, you know, certain things that happened uh, in terms of, you know, he almost died, you know, as a little boy. Right? Or you could say he died and then, you know, was prayed for, etc. It's touch and go. But the spirit of faith that is imparted every single time you interact with him. And so I want to encourage you, don't be shy, but reach out to the gifts that are here in our midst. Can I hear an amen? Let's pray. Let's pray for him. Father, we thank you for Pastor Stewart. And we thank you, Lord, that even as he has watered us, you may water him. Lord, we know he wasn't feeling 100%. He wasn't feeling that well this week. But he still, he still faithfully prepared this powerful message and delivered it. We thank you for that. And we speak healing to his physical body. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we speak blessing over his work, his career. We thank you for the increase. And we thank you for the favor that he's experiencing in his organization and the elevation that you've granted to him. And I thank you, Lord, that even as you're showing me right now that this is not the end, that you are continuing to elevate him. And so we thank you, Father, for the grace and the gift that we have in him. And we pray, Father, that we would fully utilize and fully tap into what you have given us. We pray for his family. We pray for Sally Ann. We pray for the children. We pray for the extended family, even during the time of bereavement, after Sally Ann lost her, lost her father. In all that they go through as a family, Father, be with them. Your word says, you comfort those who mourn. They've been mourning. Let them experience your comfort. We release and activate peace. 
shalom, universal flourishing over this household in all dimensions, Lord. And we call forth the fullness of the ministry gifts that are in Stuart and Sally Ann. And we say, come forth. And we receive you in this local assembly. We receive you in the body of Christ. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, I thank you that nothing in this message will be robbed from the people of God. I speak blessing over this congregation in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God. Please join us next week. It's a very important uh, Sunday because uh, we are celebrating 11 years as Go Christian Church Centurion. Many of you will know we've since planted out two churches from here. We've planted the church in Johannesburg, where I was this morning, and there's also the one in Pretoria East. All right, so God has done exciting things from this place, and we'll be showing you a mini documentary. It's a short two-minute one, just of our journey. So please come. There'll also be cake. It's queue around today, okay? I know that the hospitality team is organizing some cake um, for us. We always do that, birthday cake for the church. So you can come and enjoy that too. And we're going to have a very powerful message uh, by my wife on, the, on, on Thanksgiving. A very powerful message that helps us to go down memory lane, thanking the Lord and understanding the benefits of Thanksgiving. Amen. Uh, God bless you. Get to know people who you don't know and have an awesome Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Put it, I just put it on hold. Eh? Yeah. It doesn't hold, so we, we take it off hold.